So yeah, the most wonderful time of the year. You know, if you're having a hard time at Christmas, or if you meet somebody that's having a hard time at Christmas, and there's plenty of reasons to have hard times at Christmas, I think it's good to remind yourself or remind whoever you're talking to. The reason that Christmas exists, the reason that Jesus came into the world, is because of the death and the suffering and the hardship. Jesus came to save us. And so if you're having a hard time, remember that Christmas is supposed to be about Jesus coming to the world to save the world. And that's the main point. And you can share that with people who are struggling. If they've lost someone, the best place to turn to is Jesus. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. That's, a, that's right out of the Scripture. So that's a good thing to remind yourself or remind somebody who's having a hard time. I don't know what you think. What do you think about when, when, when you think of Christmas? What comes to mind? There's, there's plenty of things that, that I think about. I don't know what you think about. There's, uh, there's Christmas music, which I'll listen to any time of year. Christmas cookies that uh, ladies are making in a week. There's Christmas movies. I don't know what you might have a Christmas movie. It's a Wonderful Life is always played. And uh, the Christmas Carol. There's several different versions of that. So there's different Christmas movies. There's um, one with a leg lamp in it that's my favorite. <laughs> um, presents. That's a big thing people look forward to on Christmas. Santa. Eggnog milkshakes at McDonald's. Some people don't look forward to those. <laughs> the lights. The decorations. The, the, the trees. And somewhere in the midst of all that, buried among the, the, the shopping and the noise, and the holiday hustle and bustle, there's a baby. A little baby sleeping quietly in a feeding trough where the sheep are usually hanging out. And a little baby who came into the world without much fanfare, but who changed the entire planet. Who's really affected everywhere around the world. That, by the way, do you, do you know the favorite Christmas carol of parents? Silent night. <laughs> and, and, and what do you call people who are afraid of Santa? Claustrophobic. <laughs> and you know which color uh, Christmas candle burns the longest? Red or green? Neither. Candles burn shorter. <laughs> Alright, sorry. One, oh, I do have a shopping idea. This is a gift idea. If, uh, if there's, there's one present that's hard to beat, and that's a broken drum. All right, I'll quit. I'll quit. So, so how do you celebrate Christmas? I mean, there's lots of different things we think about Christmas. There's lots of different Christmas traditions that people carry on. But what do you do to celebrate? Theoretically, Christmas is supposed to be a celebration of the birth of Christ. In theory. Sadly, the, the little baby Jesus is still having a hard time finding room at his own birthday party. Had a hard time finding room when he was born. He's still having a hard time finding room in our culture today. We've filled the season with so much Santa Claus and presents and and food and music and everything else that when Jesus has been basically effectively pushed out of the holiday by our society, they 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 still want the holiday. It's a great commercial holiday when people can you know buy and sell things and the stores will promote Christmas shopping season. But they like to pull Jesus out of Christmas and just stick to all the other things that go along with it. We don't wake up on Christmas morning and run down the stairs 
to look for the Christ child in order to worship Him. It's not part of our culture. We don't go line up in the mall to sit on Jesus' lap and get a picture with Him. We don't wear a crown of thorns on our head during the month of December. Instead, we give glory to a, a magical elf who apparently shares a duplex with Superman on the North Pole and delivers toys to good little boys and girls once a year. I mean, that's really, the, the, most of the glory goes to Santa Claus. And there are still those who keep Christ in Christmas. There is a, a good contingent of people who really do care about Jesus and the fact that He came to the world and, and they celebrate our Lord who, who, who stepped out of heaven and entered our world as a human being, as a little baby boy and grew up as an ordinary man just like you and I. And He did that in order to make a way of salvation for everybody who believes in Him. And so there's a lot of people who do really... That's an important part of Christmas. Hopefully there's a lot of people who that is the most important part of Christmas. So how did all this come to pass? How did, we, when was, how did Christmas become Christmas? Because when Jesus was born, there was no Christmas holiday. It didn't exist. Jesus is Christmas. So it wasn't really a, a tradition at all when Jesus was around. There, it's not like anybody was celebrating His birth as a holiday. I don't know if His parents actually had birthdays. The Jews weren't really into birthdays. They celebrated the life of somebody after they died. But they didn't really have birthdays. So I don't know if Jesus even had birthday parties which would have been kind of Christmas. But uh, I would guess that most of you already know that December 25th is not actually Jesus' birthday. It's that, that's really okay because when we come to the, the, this season, the Christmas season, sometimes it's called the Advent season, there's a, there's a whole lot of things that we celebrate. We celebrate the whole event. There's a lot of things that go around Jesus' birth. There's the angel that comes and tells Mary that she's going to be pregnant and there's the whole nine months worth of pregnancy. And of course, there's the birth and the events that surround the birth. And there's the, the visit from the Magi, which comes anywhere from a couple of months to a couple of years before Jesus then leaves with his family to go to Egypt to escape Herod, who's trying to kill the baby. And then they're finally able to bring the boy home possibly years after Jesus was born. I thought 10 days was a long wait for our first baby to come home from the hospital. And, uh, but Joseph and Mary would think that's just a blink of an eye because they, they had to travel away from their hometown to have the baby. And then they had to escape to a whole different country to hide out from somebody who was trying to kill their baby before they were finally able to get back home to Nazareth and uh, raise their, their son. So we don't know exactly when Jesus was born. Nobody knows for sure. It's not something that you can prove historically. There's plenty of of theories and guesses in all the historical information recorded about his birth, the one thing that everybody forgot to write down was the date. And there's been plenty of speculation about it through the years. When people wrote about important events back then, they didn't write down the like the date. Like we would write, you know, today is December seventh, right? It's Pearl Harbor Day. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. So uh, we would write down December 7th, 2014. They wouldn't do that. They would write, this happened at the same time that some other important event happened. Maybe it was the, the year of a certain king's reign or the time when a governor was reigning. They would say the, the 41st year of so-and-so's reign. Or they might mark it where a, 
important event that happened like a uh, census was de- called by the emperor. So the time when the census was called by the emperor, that's when Jesus was born. And So that's how they kept track of important events. They tied them to other important events. And there was a lot of information also that you can pull through the family history because people were pretty serious about keeping track of their genealogies back then. So there are there's information you can pull out of that for to find the timing. But there's also hints in Scripture that can give us a general idea just from the what was going on that time of the year. For example, Jesus probably wasn't born in the winter time. And we get that from the first verse in our scripture in our scripture reading. It says in uh, Luke two, starts out, it says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to register all the empire for taxes. This was the first registration taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to be registered. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was of the house of the family line of David. He went to be registered with Mary who was, a, who was promised in marriage to him and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So far, archaeologists have dug up a couple of references of of decrees that came from Emperor Augustus um, that had to do with taking the census and keeping track of people. One happened in, in the year 8 B.C., but it only applied to Roman citizens. So it's not likely that Joseph would have traveled anywhere for that one. But there was another one that was ordered in 2 B.C., which is much closer to when we think Jesus was born, so whenever Joseph heard about this decree, he would have made the appropriate travel plans. And most likely it wasn't in winter because traveling in the cold and wet, it, it doesn't get quite as cold in Israel as it does here. It gets down into 40 degree weather in the wintertime in Jerusalem, in Israel. And, but it is a rainy season. And so you've got to deal with a lot of rain in 40 degree weather. And that can be pretty nasty when you're not driving a car. You're walking out in the elements and so when you're out on foot, it would have not have been a smart choice. Or you're, He was either on foot or riding a single horsepower transportation, which is what Mary had. And when, it's, you know, when you risk getting dying from a bad cold or flu because you can't really go to a clinic or a hospital or pharmacy, if you get a bad cold or flu, it's not a good idea to travel in the wet and rainy season or in the cold season. So there's also a reference we get out of Revelation if you, or Matthew when Jesus was talking about the abomination of desolation, not necessarily to be confused with the abomination, um, slightly different, but uh, when Jesus is describing that, he's saying how bad things are going to be and that everybody in Judea is going to flee to the mountains and he says, pray that your flight may not be in winter because it's pretty nasty. If you're just traveling out in the elements, you do not want to have to travel through that kind of weather. So it's, it's very unlikely that Joseph took his pregnant wife to journey the 90-something miles from Nazareth down to Bethlehem in the cold, wet, rainy season. So more than likely, they left in you know, late spring or summertime sometime and made that trip. It would be, at minimum, it's, it's about 95 miles between the two towns, 
and uh, you know, if you walk for eight hours a day, it's, it's at least three-day trip. Probably more like a week or so going by foot on the footpaths and the dirt roads. So you don't want to be out in the bad elements. You want to travel when there's nice weather. So most likely he traveled in the time of year when there was you know, sun and warmth and they could be comfortable as they traveled. And uh, when Jesus, or uh, Luke 2, 8, a little bit farther past our Scripture reading, it says, Now there were shepherds nearby living out in the field, keeping guard over their flock by night. So all the shepherds are out in the open fields, tending their flocks and, and feeding them in the hillsides and stuff. If the shepherds had their flocks out there, it meant that it probably was before October because around that time in the fall is when everybody started moving back in and keeping the livestock inside because nobody wants to hang out, especially overnight, hang out outside with your sheep when it starts to get wet and rainy and cold. And uh, so by late fall, the shepherds were all coming back home and keeping their livestock close to home. So that's another hint that, it, that Jesus probably wasn't even born in the winter. Even if Joseph traveled in the summertime, the baby was probably born before it started getting too cold because the shepherds were still out in the field. Um, so do details like that really matter? Because the Bible doesn't actually say that in order to be saved, you must repent and believe and figure out the timing of Jesus' birth. It just says repent and believe. You have faith and that's what saves you. So does it really matter about these little details about when Jesus was born? When you're living in a culture that loves to reject the truth of Jesus, that loves to push Jesus out of His own holiday, it's probably good to arm yourself with the facts. It's good to know this kind of stuff. It's, it, it's a whole lot easier to be led by emotionalism when you don't know the facts. And we saw that here in recent news in Ferguson. A bunch of people who really didn't know about the facts. They just were led astray by emotional things. And, and there will come a time, and probably multiple times if you haven't already had these experiences, when your faith will be challenged by somebody. When you'll be asked why you believe what you believe. How can you defend your faith? And so this kind of information I think is good to have and I challenge you to be prepared for that with this kind of study. If, if you don't believe in something, you'll fall for anything. So it's good to know why you believe what you believe. We are called to be ready at all times to give an answer for the hope that we have within us. So it, it's, if you want to you know, have a solid faith, obviously the foundation is Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus because the Word says to. But there is so much evidence out there that backs up God's Word that we can share with people who have questions and, and concerns and doubts. Ephesians 4, for, to defend ourselves, Ephesians 4.14 says, one of the reasons you learn about why Christianity is true is so that we are no longer to be children, tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. There's a lot of shysters out there. There's a lot of people preaching messages about Jesus and about God that just aren't so. They make things up. They, they twist the Bible. They don't even use the Bible. They come up with stories and traditions. And so it's good to get yourself into the Scripture and test it out and find out what, you know, test all evidence that you see in the world against the Word of God so that you can know the truth and be able to not only hold on to good doctrine yourself, but share it with other people. 
There are historians in the Bible. Obviously, there's a lot of people who wrote down history in the Bible. And there are historians outside the Bible, all of whom talk about the life and death of resur- and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul said that if, if that information is not true, if the, what we know about Jesus coming into the world and being crucified and rising again from the dead, if, if that's not real, then Christians are a bunch of pitiable fools. And we've wasted our lives on falsehood. That's what I'm paraphrasing. But Paul said, it's, if, we don't, if, if Christ is not real, then our faith is pointless. So, so yes, I think this kind of stuff matters because it's not only grounds, it not only grounds us in the truth, but it also adds support to our faith and information for defending that faith and for sharing the Gospel with other people and backing it up. So, plus, it will help you to know when to put Jesus' birthday card in the mail. So what about the year of Christ's birth? When was Jesus born? I mentioned that there was a census in 2 BC that's recorded in history that, that Caesar Augustus did send out a census around the empire. Today, we, we all use the Gregorian calendar. They used the Julian calendar back when Jesus was born. But uh, the, the Gregorian calendar centers around Jesus' birth. And you've all heard of the you know before Christ is BC and Anno Domini is after, it doesn't stand for after death, Anno Domini stands for the year of our Lord in Latin. That's what it means. So B.C. and A.D. is when the Gregorian calendar is, is divided, when you know, the years count down in B.C. and count up in A.D. And that's all centered around Jesus' birth. The, to these days, people say B.C.E., which is before the Common Era, and C.E., which is Common Era, because they, they want to push any reference to Jesus out of the dating system. But the truth still stands that regardless of what initials you have, it, the, the calendar is still centered around the, the birth of Jesus Christ, where the years count down to the birth of Jesus and the years count up from the birth of Jesus, and that's kind of hard to, to get rid of. Um, so, and that's another good Christmas story to remember. When people are talking about Christmas, it's, you know, the, if it wasn't for Christmas, it wasn't for Jesus, our calendar would probably be more like the Jewish calendar, which counts from the you know they kind of figure a date for the beginning of the world and they count up from there the jewish year right now is 5775 so if we didn't have christianity if we didn't have the birth of jesus our calendar would be something like that jesus birth in the jewish calendar is somewhere between 3750 and 3760 that would be a, a jewish guesstimate some tradition holds that christ was born between 6 and 4 bc and, and several theories are based on commentary from Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian who wrote a lot about the things that were going on at that time. And one of the things he wrote was that there was an, a, clip, a, a lunar eclipse that happened right before King Herod died. And that was one of the things that Joseph and Mary were waiting for before they could go home because King Herod wanted to kill Jesus. So they were hiding out in Egypt. And Josephus wrote about that eclipse happening because right after the eclipse, it was like the eclipse happened and Herod developed some pretty nasty health problems. He, he, he had got to a point where his flesh was actually rotting on his body and there were worms infesting him. So it was a sick kind of thing that was going on. And it wasn't long after that that he died. So we can easily track lunar eclipses. We can go back a couple thousand years to when Jesus was born 
and know exactly when the lunar eclipses were happening because we can track the, the cycles of the moon through um, very accurate technology. You know, NASA keeps track of all that kind of stuff. And depending on what year it was will tell us when the eclipse was and when the possibility of Jesus was born. There was an eclipse on March 14th in 4 BC, which is uh, that's kind of a popular candidate for the, the one Josephus mentioned. I don't really like that one because it happened only a month before Passover. And Josephus wrote that there was a, a, quite a list of things that happened between the eclipse and the Passover that uh, don't quite fit the time scale. The, what, there was the eclipse. Herod got the sickness, the, the rotting flesh disease. He got majorly sick and nasty. He took a trip where he left his home to a town that was about 10 miles away and spent some time getting treatments. They had hot baths there. And so he spent some time getting treatments there. The treatments didn't work. And so once they realized that the warm baths weren't working, he traveled back to his home. He sent out orders for a, several, a number of important people around the kingdom to come and report to him. And uh, some of them lived pretty far away, like 70 or 80 miles. And back then, you're all traveling by foot, and it takes you know quite a while to travel that distance. So they all arrived before the Passover. All those people reported to Herod. Another thing that happened was Herod's son, Antipater, was executed, and it was five days after that execution that Herod himself died. And then there was a big funeral planned, and they held this funeral for Herod, followed by a week of mourning, and then at the end of a week of mourning, they had a big funeral feast. And then it was time for the Passover. So all these events happened between the eclipse and the Passover. And it was only 30 days in that 4 BC lunar eclipse. So that's a lot of stuff. It's possible all that stuff could have crammed into just a month's time. But with all the traveling going on, it's not very likely that that, that was all crammed in in just a month's time. But there was another eclipse that happened on January 10th of 1 BC. And, and, and then there's an even more li- likely eclipse that I think is more likely that happened on um, both the March 4th eclipse of 4 BC and the January 1st eclipse of 01, or January 10th eclipse of 01 BC. They both happened late in the night, about six hours after sunset, later than six hours after sunset when most of the people would be asleep. So it wouldn't really stand out. I mean, there would be people watching who knew it would happen, um, but it wouldn't really stand out as an, an ominous kind of thing. But then on the, at the end of January, of, or the end of 01 BC, on December 29th, there was a lunar eclipse that began during when the moon should have been full that happened right as the moon began to rise. I mean, the eclipse actually started before the moon went over the horizon so people could see it. So it rose half-covered. It rose a dark moon, and as it went up in the sky, it was a, you know, the blood-colored eclipsed moon. And so everybody would have seen it, because everybody would have been expecting a full moon, and here comes the moon darkened as it rose. And that would have stuck out as, a, as an ominous kind of sign, and it would have been something comp- worth recording, because right after that is when Herod got sick. So that was why Josephus thought that was worthy of mentioning that here's this kind of ominous looking eclipse and Herod gets sick and and soon dies and uh, so that kind of in my mind makes that 
particular eclipse more likely to be the one that Josephus tied Herod's death to, which happened in December of 01, of 01 BC. Plus, when that happened at the very end of December, that leaves three months of before the Passover comes. So all those events that happened between the eclipse and the Passover, you've now got three months of time to spread those events out. So that's just a, just a guess. There's no conclusive evidence, but I think that that was around the time that, that Herod died. And that's important because Matthew tells us that it was Herod who heard about Jesus from the wise men. Remember the Magi traveled, they met with Herod the Great, and when he took the information and he sent out people to kill Jesus, that's why Joseph was warned in a dream to flee Bethlehem to get out of there before Herod's men arrived. So they escaped to Egypt and didn't return to Judea until Herod had died. So it wasn't until after that date of death that they came back. And there's a guy named Irenaeus, and he was a bishop in the Roman church who was born about a hundred years after Jesus. And he was a historian, and he recorded that uh, it was passed down that Jesus was born during the 41st year of the reign of Augustus. Remember, Augustus is the one who made the decree for the census. And if you remember your Shakespeare, you know it was Julius Caesar who was assassinated by his own people. And right after that, a guy named Mark Antony, who basically held the highest office in the Republic of Rome, kind of began amassing more political power. So it was in 43 BC that the son of Julius Caesar, his name was Octavian, a.k.a. Augustus. So the son of Julius Caesar is the Caesar who's making the decree for the census. He went to war with Mark Antony and defeated him. And then he turned around and he marched into the city of Rome with eight legions. And of course, he's the big guy with an army. They had no resistance coming into the city. And so he marches in with his army and basically gets elected to the position that Mark Antony held. So he beats out Mark Antony, comes in, and now has the highest office in the land. So um, that was pretty much the beginning of Augustus's reign over Rome. Shortly after that, the Roman Senate posthumously recognized Julius Caesar as divinity. So they declared that Julius Caesar, he had already died, that he was a god of Rome. And so then Augustus said, well, if he's a god, then I'm the son of God because he's my dad. So Augustus Caesar said, I am the son of God. And 41 years after he came to power in Rome and declared himself Caesar, would put Christ's birth right around 2 B.C. If you know, going by the timing of um, Irenaeus. And then another guy kind of backed it up. His name was Tertullian, um, Tertullian. And he was a Christian author about the same time that uh, Irenaeus backed up, um, wrote about his information. And he said, um, Tertullian said that it was 41 years before the birth of Christ that Augustus came to power and then he also added that it was 15 years after Christ's birth that Augustus died. And so both of those references match up with the 2 BC being around the time that Jesus was born. He wrote that Jesus was born 28 years after the death of Cleopatra. So there's another connection with another ruler. And Cleopatra killed herself with a poisonous asp, if you remember that story. And that happened in 30 BC. So if you count 28 years from 30 B.C., then again, that's another date 
of 2 B.C. So there's a number of extra-biblical references that kind of put the birth of Jesus right around 2 B.C. as a, a, a pretty um, possible time. A Roman historian named Eusebius, Eusebius is called the father of church history, if you've ever heard of him. And uh, he, was, he came along a little bit after these other historical um, historians. And he helps to narrow down the time of year in 2 B.C. He wrote that Jesus was born in the 42nd year of Augustus um, reign and then the 28th year of this subjugation of Egypt by Rome. Well, the 42nd, remember the other guy said it was the 41st year. The 42nd year technically ran from the autumn of 2 B.C. until the autumn of 1 B.C. So his 41st year and his 42nd year both met up in 2 B.C. And he also said that the subjugation of Egypt ran from the autumn of 3 B.C. until the autumn of 2 B.C. So the only place where those two events cross over is in 2 B.C., in the autumn. So that kind of even narrows down a window of the part, the time of year when Jesus was possibly born. And we can narrow it down even more with a little help from John the Baptist. If you remember, John's Scripture says that John's mom was cousins with Jesus' mother, Mary. And remember, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth while they're both pregnant. And Elizabeth was married to a priest named Zechariah. And we learn in Luke, in the beginning of Luke chapter 1, it says, During the reign of Herod, king of Judea, there lived a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and he had a wife named Elizabeth. So those are the ones we're talking about. King David, had, when he came to power and kind of got the temple the worship organized, he had divided the Jewish priests into 24 groups of different families. There were 24 different family groups. And each division of the priestly line served in the temple one week. So they'd have Sabbath to Sabbath, they'd serve, and then the next family would come in and they'd serve the next week. And we know that the temple was destroyed by Rome in 70 A.D. We actually have a specific date. It was August the 5th, 70 A.D. And it was the day that the first division of priests that were lined up by David had just taken office. They'd just come in to take over the performing the temple duties and it was on that day that the temple was destroyed by Rome. We also know from 1 Chronicles that Abijah, which is the one that the group that Zechariah was in, was the 8th division. And so from there, we can kind of count backwards by weeks to figure out that Zechariah would have ended his priestly duties on July 13th, 3 B.C. And if you read through the rest of that chapter in Luke, then you know that it was during that week of service when Zechariah was in the temple and he was chosen to present the incense before the, the, the altar of incense in the holy place in the temple. And while he's in there, the angel Gabriel comes to him and he tells him that he's going to have a son. And Zechariah kind of was shocked. He kind of found that a little hard to believe because he's an old man at this point. And Elizabeth is an old woman and he says, we're... How are we going to have kids? They've never had kids before. And because Zechariah didn't quite believe Gabriel, the angel made him mute until the baby was born. And a little piece of advice, if an angel of God visits you and tells you something, probably best to believe what he says. And so Zechariah went home. He went home and it was July 13th, 3 B.C. He ended his service. He went home after his um, temple duty. 
And Luke tells us that sure enough, Elizabeth got pregnant shortly thereafter. Oddly enough, if you count 40 weeks, you know, an actual 40-week pregnancy cycle, the, from the day that Zechariah went back, if he went back and was glad to see his wife, um, from that day, you wind up on Passover, of, um, which is in April of 2 B.C. So a 40-week pregnancy from the time that Zechariah got off to the time that um, John the Baptist was born would fall, would put John's birthday on the Passover. And we don't know that for sure. That's just you know counting days as a possibility. But that would be kind of interesting because every time that Jesus showed up in His presence, He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So just kind of an interesting tie-in. Um, verse 26 in Luke 1 says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to, to a man whose name was Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. So the same angel that visited Elizabeth now goes to Mary and gave her some good news. I'm sure you've probably heard that. Uh, what that is. Plus we know that John is about five or six months older than Jesus. Because the Bible gives us the timing. And which would put Christ's birth in the autumn of 2 B.C. The same time when all those other events that those historians wrote where it matched up with the autumn of 2 B.C. So probably around August or September, I would guess August because two of my kids were born then and it just feels right. Um, <laughs> or there's another interesting coincidence in September. Elizabeth, you remember if, a little bit before it says when she found out she was pregnant, she hid herself for five months. She went away. Maybe she felt a little bit embarrassed because she's an old lady or maybe she just wanted some quiet time. So for five months, she's off by herself, um, doesn't kind of accept any company. And that's when the angel Gabriel goes to Mary and tells her that not only are you going to have a son, but your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. So when Mary heard that news, she went with haste to go visit Elizabeth and find out what was going on. And that would have been in the beginning of Elizabeth's sixth month when Mary shows up at uh, while John is in in utero, and so it was the. It turns out that when Mary visited Elizabeth in her beginning of her sixth month, that would have been around December. If if John was conceived in mid July, then the sixth month of her term would have started up towards the end of December of three B.C. If Jesus was born forty weeks after that. It would have been the end of September. Well, September 29th is the first day of the Feast of Trumpets. And the Feast of Trumpets is a high holy Sabbath holiday when they blow trumpets, obviously, and the people are all called to consecration and repentance to God. So that would seem like an appropriate day for Christ's birth. I mean, this is all just kind of coincidental timing. So we don't know exactly if it happened then, but you know, it would be kind of neat to find out that God planned it all so that these would happen on these holy days. Now fast forward just a bit. Caesar Augustus died on August uh, in, of 14 AD. And Tiberius became the next Caesar. And if you remember, Tertullian said it was 15 years after the, Jesus was born that Augustus died. And that would take us to, to AD 14. Remember, there's no year zero, so that's why it's 14 instead of 15. Luke 3 um, at the beginning says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, 
Caesar, who's replaced Augustus, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to the son of John of Zechariah in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan River, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So they don't have a date there, but they have it marked out with all these different rulers. You know, if you've got any question about it, this is who was emperor, this is who was governor, this was who was in charge in various regions, this was who was in charge of the Jewish leadership. You know, these were the years that they were in running. So if you need to figure it out, we've got all the information laid out so you can dig up and find out exactly when this was happening. So if John was born in April of 2 BC, then he would have turned 30 in April of 29 AD. Remember, there's no year zero again. And, and they accepted, that was the 30 years old was the accepted age for someone in the priest's service to enter into the ministry publicly. 30 years old was kind of the minimum age for that. And so in the autumn of that year, it would have been when Jesus would go to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Of course, all this is just educated guesswork and speculation. There's no way to really prove what day Jesus was born on other than to go to heaven and ask him what your birthday is. And so how did we get December 25th? Where did that come from? Well, the first mention of Christmas on December 25th was found in an old Latin codex, an old book that was written in Latin in, in 354 A.D., and it happened to have a calendar for 354 A.D., and in that calendar they have written that December 25th was um, supposed to be the birth of Christ. Um, 42 years prior to that calendar, but to that year, Constantine, the emperor of Rome, had, had legalized Christianity. And remember, before that, Christians were greatly persecuted by Rome. Many of them were killed and uh, tortured and so on. So now that Constantine makes this decree, the Christians can come out of hiding. So they're no longer in the catacombs. Now they're out in the streets and they can become, you know, people who are... Before that, it was all a lot of slaves and poor people who were Christians. There were Half the people in Rome were slaves and half the, the slaves were Christians. So now people in prominent positions could join in with the, you know, the, the Christian religion and make that part of their... You know, some people just kind of mixed and blended. There are so many pagan religions, they just figured, well, we'll just add another one to our practices. And that's kind of what went on in much of Rome. The, the, you know, it started to do in the church what our own culture has done in many ways. They, instead of changing the culture around them, they, the church began to be changed by the culture. And so they'd you know, add traditions and mix things up. And, and Roman had just a plethora of various worship of false gods and pagan practices. And you know, there are plenty of, of these immoral kind of celebrations. And, and in December, there were, uh, in that month of the year, there were two kind of big festivities. One centered around the solstice, the winter solstice. And another one was centered around Saturnalia, which was basically a celebration of the Roman god Saturn. So the church people who were used to the pagan traditions, you know, they lived in that. They lived in hiding among that. And, and the people who started to you know, kind of add Christianity to the mix, they wanted to kind of repurpose some of these pagan practices. They wanted to try to, well, let's make it part of what we do, maybe clean it up a little, make it a little more family-friendly. And you know, make them more Christian, so to speak. And eventually, in in the year 440, 
the church leaders actually made Christmas an official church holiday. And I might share a little bit more about that next time, but, but here's my point. People are mixing in paganism with Christianity, and so they used that, uh, that time of holiday season around the solstice, which would have been the 22nd, and the Saturnalia worship holiday to pick a date of December 25th and say, let's use this day and we'll kind of try to reclaim some of this pagan stuff and, and clean it up and have a Christian holiday instead of a pagan holiday. And, and so here's the point of going through all this detail to show you the, the, the historicity of the birth of Jesus. You know, we picked out a 2 BC date, uh, you know, probably in August or September of 2 BC. We don't know for sure. That's just a guess going by these other historical references. There are other theories and other ideas of when Jesus was born. But if you ever hear people, and I've, you maybe have heard this before, I've definitely heard it, you hear people who talk about, they argue that Christmas was built on old pagan rituals. And therefore, because it came out of this pagan tradition, Jesus is just another one of these you know, made-up religions. Christianity you know, is made up with this, this myth about Jesus that goes along with other, all the other ancient myths of paganism. And when they say that, they're, they're half right. There are plenty of pagan roots associated with this December 25th holiday. A lot of our Christmas traditions, and maybe I'll share some of this next week, are based on old pagan practices that were tried to be cleaned up and made more family-friendly and Christianized in some ways. And so there are roots to paganism in Christmas traditions that we carry out. However, that doesn't have anything to do with the historical birth of Jesus Christ. Very real history and very real prophecy that was fulfilled both clearly point to Jesus Christ as the Messiah who came into the world as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, just like John the Baptist talked about. Yes, we observe December 25th as a national holiday and we ought to take advantage of the time to honor and glorify Jesus for all that He's done and to share His good news with the lost and we ought to try to kind of dig our way out of some of this wrapping paper and ribbons of worldly traditions like some of the ancient Romans had got themselves and you know just mixed things up and really didn't care what was going on. We, we, we might not have the same sort of a moral paganism that they had you know, when they worshipped all these false gods. We might not worship false gods, but we certainly do tend to pour an awful lot of time and energy and money into traditions that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Um, uh, So my challenge to you this holiday season is to try to take a step back from all of it. Try to, to take more of an objective viewpoint about what you do and why you're doing it. You know, what you do with your family. You know, quite frankly, I don't think it matters if you have a Christmas tree or you put up stockings or you trade presents or eat turkey or ham or watch It's a Wonderful Life. I... You know, I'm not going to oppose or promote any Christmas traditions that you might carry out. That's not my point. But I am going to tell you that as you think about those things, as you make your decisions as to what you and your family are going to do in order to, to celebrate Christmas, remember this. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23 says, Paul says, everything is lawful. Having Christmases, you know, presents at Christmas, having a big meal, putting up decorations for Christmas, you know, all that kind of stuff is lawful. 
But not everything is beneficial. You getting yourself buried in the shopping season and, and debt and family fights and that kind of stuff, not everything is beneficial. Everything is lawful, but not everything builds others up. Do not seek your own good, but the good of the other person. Jesus came to Christmas thinking of us. Jesus came to the world thinking of how we could be saved through His work. Think about other people. Verse, jump down to 31. Verse 31, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Do not give offense to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in all things. I do not seek my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is Jesus bringing salvation to the world. That's what we need to remember. Among all the other trappings, whatever you do on Christmas, think about why you're doing it. What you're doing it for. If there's something that you think is a bad idea for your family and it's just causing problems and headaches and fights and, and debt, you know, get rid of it. You don't have to carry it out. You don't have to keep traditions that are no good. If you do keep a tradition then make sure that you're doing it for the glory of God. Don't forget Jesus Christ when Christmas is around. Do whatever you do, whether you're eating or drinking or whatever you do. If you have Christmas parties or you know, go through stockings or sing songs or go visit people in the nursing home or you know, have other service projects that you give money to, to or buy gifts for people that can't afford it, you know, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God and seek the benefit of other people so that other people may be saved. That's the point of Christmas. Jesus is Christmas, and everything He did was to save us. Let's honor His gift to us by sharing that same grace and truth with other people. Let everything we do this Christmas season be for the glory of God and for the salvation of more and more people. Let's pray. God, we do thank You so much for Christmas. It is a great time of year. And I know that there are people who have struggles and problems, but we also know that You came to save us from death and to save us from suffering and to wipe away every tear. And we know that You want our lives to be good and You want our lives to be blessed. And You don't want us to be held back by traditions or to focus our whole lives around empty practices, but You want us to focus on what is important. And that is serving others and saving lives, and saving souls for eternity. So God, I pray that you would help us all to keep the right perspective in Christmas. And we also know that if we really do keep that right perspective, if we keep you our center in Christmas time, that everything will be okay. That no matter what we struggle with, or what goes good, or what goes bad, that if we hold on to you, that everything in Christmas can be good, because you cause all things to work together for the good of those who love you. And I pray that you would help us to work for your good and for the benefit of others and trust that you'll continue to look out for our good. Thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. Amen.